I do want to underline what we saw in that brief video from Samaritan's Purse. This is an opera Operation Christmas Child Christmas box. Many of you have taken them home. Many of you have filled them up, and I, I, a few of you even brought them back today. Next week is the day we bring them back. So if you haven't yet taken one home, if you take it home inside are some ideas about what kind of gifts to get for children of various ages, and you can label whether you want a boy or a girl, what age, bring it back, and that $9 that they talked about will ship this package, a package like this, somewhere in the world, Africa, India, South America, a place where children... Two things. Number one, wouldn't get any kind of Christmas gift in their lifetime, probably. And most importantly, they will get the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus in their own language. So if you haven't taken one of these home yet, there's still some left out there on the tables in the gathering area. So you can pick one up today. It is probably the last day you're going to pick one up and then take it home, fill it up, and bring it back next weekend so we can bless hundreds and hundreds of children with the good news of Jesus and with a, a bit of, uh, of Christmas blessing. Okay, so we've been in this series called The Four Wills of God. If you're here for the very first time, you're coming in for the, the pretty much the intense conclusion of this series. What we've talked about during the Four Wills of, uh, Four Wills of God series is that God has a universal will and a unique will. And we will not find out what God's unique will is for our lives. We'd only discover God's unique will for our lives as we live out his universal will. We have to do the things that God told all of us to do in order to understand what he wants each one of us to do, that personal will that he has for us. And this message, today's message, it doesn't just swim upstream against our culture. It's swimming up a waterfall. Because we're going to talk about something that our culture really has sort of moved off the map when it comes to what God's universal will is. But before I get to that, let me summarize the first three wills in case you weren't here. If you have been here all three weeks, repetition's the mother of learning. So the first week we talked about the, the overall universal will of God is to believe in Jesus Christ. And then we believe in Jesus Christ the next thing is, and Pastor Brad preached these two messages, we give thanks in everything. Because until we believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, it's going to be impossible for him to reveal to us his unique will for each of our lives. And as we give thanks in every circumstance, not for every circumstance, because there are horrendous circumstances that all of us face. But to give thanks in the midst of those is to do God's um, general or universal will for us. And then last week, we talked about the third will, which is to um, submit to God in doing right. And that means to submit to governing authorities, to submit to our parents, to submit to our teachers, to our boss at work, our, you know, our, our husband or wife, our parents, so long as to do so is not to contradict the will of Jesus. And we agreed with something last week, and that was as Americans, independent Americans, we do not like submitting to those in authority over us if we disagree with their decision, their direction, or their details. And, and, you know, I use one sort of silly illustration, but it's been actually changing my life, which is this week it caused me to drive 15 miles per hour in a 15-mile-per-hour speed zone. Good news was I got two books read while I was doing it. Just kidding. Um, just kidding. I didn't read a book while I was doing it. Okay. It was in Butler Hospital parking lot, and I was doing everything legally. And somebody, I mean, people don't like it. Some people said to me, you know, well, what about stop signs? Since we're going so slow, do we really need to stop when we get to the stop sign? <laughs> yes, we do. Okay. So th that's going to seem easy compared to what we're going to talk about today. 
In fact, when I start to talk about what I'm going to talk about today, those of you under 30 are probably going to go, you know, you're old-fashioned, you're out of touch, or even if I wanted to do this, there's no way I could. Those of you who are over 30 are going to say, I've already screwed up here, I've already messed up, I've already, you know, I, I just haven't done it the way I'm supposed to do it, and I might even be sinning habitually in this area. Well, let's get to it. Here it is. And it is, where is it on my paper? I know what it is. Abstain from sexual sin. Abstain from sexual sin. See, some of you are ready to check out. Some of you, you think that, well, this doesn't really matter. But it really does matter. In fact, what I'd like you to do is look at this statement that I made about all of the universal will of God, but particularly this one. What I'm saying today is God's universal will for us, whatever we think, whatever we feel, or whatever we're doing right now, if we are serious about knowing God's unique will for our lives, we need to take first steps or next steps in obedience in this area. So I hope that you'll listen for the next 20 minutes because if you do, I believe this will be one of the most important messages you will have heard this year. Most important thing I can tell you probably in this culture next to coming to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. In fact, just last service, at the end of the service, a guy walked out and said, that's the most important sermon I've ever heard. So, okay, I hope that you'll feel the same way at the end of the message. Whether you do or not, I'm going to preach the same basic message. Okay, so here it is. The take-home point is to live holy lives, we must abstain from all forms of sexual sin. To live holy lives. Now, some of you are going, wait a minute, holy? I don't even know if I want to live a holy life. And then the take-home point is assuming that we want to live a holy life. What does holy mean? It means separated to God. It means that we are going to live the kind of life that Jesus lived. And we obviously can't do that on our own. We need his help. But that's what we're talking about here today. And the Apostle Paul connected holiness and abstaining from sexual sin in a passage we read from 1 Thessalonians. But before we turn there, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you'll open up our, our hearts, that your Holy Spirit will speak to our spirit today, that we will receive this truth whether we're already doing a great job or whether we're failing miserably, God, I pray that you will speak to us in a way that will both comfort us and challenge us to live our lives in a way that brings you glory and honor. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul wrote, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. Also, in another translation, it says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. So if you're not familiar with the word sanctification, it's a good biblical word. And, and what it means is to become more and more like Jesus. After we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, his goal for us is to grow up to become like him. Now, that doesn't mean we will be gods. We won't. Only God is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we become more and more like Jesus. That's what sanctification and holiness are all about. So... As we're talking about this this morning, we're not going to argue or debate about what is a sexual sin. We could get off on that rabbit trail and we could split hairs over all these kind of things. We're not going to do that. What we're going to do is we're going to focus on really how we get back to the center of God's will. What I mean is this. Becoming holy has less to do with what we avoid and more to do with whom we pursue. I think it should be whom rather than who. But anyway, I wrote it so I did it wrong. Avoiding sin is not the goal here. I want to show you a little illustration. I'm standing in the center of a circle, and people have come to me and said, Pastor Chris, especially in this area of sexual sin, they've said, uh, is this a sin? 
And, and, and when they say, is this you know, a sin, they'll say, is it a sin, depending on the age of the person, is it a sin to kiss my boyfriend? Is it a sin to move in with my girlfriend? Is it a sin for me to, to you know, read romance novels? Is it a sin for me to, to get a divorce from my husband because I don't love him anymore? And the, the question really is, if here's the center of God's will, and here's the line, a circle that goes around me, and outside of the line is sin, what they're really asking is, how close to the line can I get without going over? How close can I come to sin without it actually being sin? That's what people want to know. But that isn't what we ought to want to know. We ought to not want to know how close can we get to the line with going out going over. Here's what we ought to want to know. How can I stay in the center of God's will for my life? How can I stay close to Jesus? Because that's what I was created to do. That's what you were created to do, to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. And as in, we're in that relationship, we will also do the things that his universal will requires. In fact, I want to talk to you about a very brief passage of Scripture. Jesus spoke these words the night that he was going to be arrested. Sometime either at the Lord's Supper or sometime before he was arrested, Jesus spoke these words to his disciples. He gave them a new commandment. Here it is. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus did not just give us a new aspect of his universal will. This sums up his universal will. In fact, what he said to his disciples was, if you love one another as I have loved you, the world will know that you are my disciples. Now, it's interesting. He didn't say the world will know you're my disciples if you love them the way I have loved you. He said, if they see you loving each other the way I have loved you, then they will know that you're my followers. And so if we want to follow Jesus, we want to stay in the center of his will. When it comes to this area of sexuality, we need to ask ourselves this particular question. Would Jesus have us treat him or her the way I'm about to treat him or her? Now, that's an awkward statement, and Jesus would not, ha would not say that statement. And the reason I said, would Jesus have us, is because Jesus didn't practice his sexuality. Jesus was a man, 100% man, 100% God. But he never practiced his sexuality because he never got married, because he knew that he came to the earth to save the world from sin and death. And so he was going to die on the cross, rise from the dead, return to heaven. So he never got married. He knew he was never going to get married. The apostle Paul wasn't married. So how could these two guys who never got married tell us what it means to practice our sexuality the way God wants us to? Well, Jesus is God, so it wouldn't be hard for him. But Paul, because the, the word of God is clear about this, we're going to look at two brief verses, one from the very beginning of time when God ordered creation, and then we're going to look at a, another verse from the book of Hebrews, both talking about, in this particular case, marriage, because marriage has a big thing to do with sexuality in God's plan. So the first verse says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Genesis 2:24. And then this one, marriage is to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. So first we see where sexuality gets lived out in marriage between a man and a woman. A man will leave his father and mother, cling to his wife, the two will become one. Actually, in this original, it says one flesh. We're talking about a sexual relationship. It's more than that, but it's at least that. And then he says, the, the author of the Hebrews says, that the marriage bed should be undefiled, and God will judge fornicators, that's those who practice their sexuality before they're married, 
And then adulterers, those who practice sexuality outside of their marriage relationship, will be judged. And that's a harsh word, judge, right? But judge, God does not judge us so that we will be condemned. He judges us to bring us back into relationship with him. Think about this. I want you to think about this illustration. Back when I was growing up, the, the railings along the roads were called guardrails. Now we call them guide rails. But let me ask you a question. Do you think PennDOT puts guide rails or guardrails along, you know, steep cliffs and dangerous curves to keep us from having the fun of driving over cliffs? Or they do it for our protection? Huh. Obviously, they do it for our protection. What I'm about to say is one of the most important things in the message today. When God says no, he means don't hurt yourself. When God says no, he means don't hurt yourself. For at least the generation in which I've been alive, this culture has been lying to us and telling us that the free expression of sexuality in any kind of relationship, any kind of situation, it's good for us, it's healthy for us, it'll make us better people. But that's a lie. God has put guardrails around this particular area because he knows what's best for us because he created us. His universal will for us is that we abstain from all forms of sexual immorality because he knows that when somebody is addicted to pornography, whether a man or a woman, that person is not freer. That person's life is not better. Just ask them. And the fact that you can just pull out your phone and look at it these days makes it even more likely that people of all ages will be having access to it. And the truth is, as people watch those images, they're not freer. They're just more deeply enslaved. So a woman who lives with a man before she gets married is much more likely to get divorced than a woman who does not. And Emerson Egrich, who wrote the book, The Four Wheels of God, in which this message series is based, um, gave a reason why he believes that is true to a group of 3,000 men and women he was speaking to in France. Here's what he, he said. A woman moves in with a man to prove to him that she loves him. A man moves in with a woman to determine if he loves her. Now, when Egrich made that statement, 3,000 men and women, there was an audible gasp from the women in the audience. And let's just say that France is not known as a sexually backward country. And in fact, he went on to say, most women totally sacrifice themselves in a relationship only to discover the men they lived with were testing the waters and making nice gestures. The women were all in, the men were not. I share that to say that the reason why marriage is not in a great condition in our culture is because we've ignored the guardrails, we've ignored God's plan and God's design, and we've gone outside of the line, living with, your, with anybody before you're married in a sexual relationship, that's outside the guardrails. That's outside the line. It's sin. And if we want to live in the center of God's will, then we have to draw back from that. Now, if you're thinking that I'm you know, condemning a certain group of people, I'm not. I'm actually probably condemning all of us because the next verse that I'm going to read comes from, Matthew, or from Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And this is what he said. Jesus said, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So remember Jesus' commandment? Love one another as I have loved you. The problem I have with that, many problems, but one of the problems I have with that is I don't see people the way Jesus sees them. When I look at a person, I don't see the same person that Jesus sees. 
You see, in Jesus' day, when he was walking on the earth, he never saw a prostitute. Now, I don't mean that Jesus never walked past a prostitute. In fact, there were prostitutes who came near Jesus all the time because he loved them. And here's the thing. What Jesus saw when other people saw a prostitute was a beautiful woman who was created by his heavenly father for whom he was going to die so that she could have a new life, a life with him at the center. And when we look at other people, we wouldn't be lusting after other people if when we looked at other people, what we saw was the same thing. If we saw a person that God had created and that we asked ourselves the question, I wonder if she, I wonder if he knows Jesus as Savior and Lord. And we started to focus on what that person needs in relationship to Jesus instead of what we think or what we want from a sexual standpoint. So if I'm going to love Nancy the way I need to love her as my wife, then um, if I'm going to do that the way the author of the Hebrews says, if I'm going to do that the way Jesus said in his greatest commandment, as, as he said in Matthew chapter 5, then I'm going to have to obey him. I'm going to have to obey God. We're going to have to obey God in his commands in this area of our life if we are going to receive his universal will into our lives so that we can know what, what is my individual purpose and plan. How can I live more effectively? If I'm, going to, if I'm going to do what God wants me to do individually in, in his will for me, I need to first be doing the things that he created me to do and all of us to do universally. So here's the key. Wherever you are right now, wherever you are right now in this area of sexual sin or lack of sexual sin, the key is not to let defeat defeat us. The key is to not let defeat Defeat us. C.S. Lewis wrote something probably 80 years ago. It's an amazing image of how we don't let the sin in our life defeat us. And this is what he wrote. No amount of falls will really undo us if we keep on picking ourselves up each time. We shall be very muddy and tattered children by the time we reach home. But the bathrooms are all ready, the towels put out, and clean clothes in the airing cupboard. The only fatal thing is to lose one's temper and give it up. It is when we notice the dirt that God is most present in us. It is the very sign of his presence. Now, I know the illustration's old, but you see the point. Sin makes us dirty. Our heavenly father has a bath ready for us. He wants us to come and get cleaned up. And when we notice how dirty we are, that's the sign that God is in us because he's moving us, not to shame, but to genuine guilt so that we will repent, so that we'll come back into the center of his will. And the thing that we really need to understand is if we're living in any kind of sexual sin right now, we need to clean up. We need to, we need to get rid of the dirt and take the bath. And, and I want to say this, and I, and I said it wrong on last night. It came out a little funny. Um, and not funny, like happy funny, but stupid funny. Okay? I'm going to try to make it come out clear today. If you're married, if you're married, this bath that we're talking about, this cleansing, needs to be done together. You need to sit down with your husband or your wife, and you need to say, here's where we are, and we need to move forward. So I love what the Apostle Paul said about moving forward, because everything we're talking about today is something that has happened in the past. Maybe it was yesterday, 10 years ago, however long ago. And the past is something that needs to be left there. And this is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. 
But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I can't change the past. You can't change the past. Even God doesn't change the past. What he does, he sent Jesus to die for our past and our present so that we can be cleaned from the inside out and so that we can have a new life. And so whether we've been looking at pornography because our wives don't satisfy us or we've been reading romance novels because our husband doesn't satisfy us or because whatever it is that we've been doing, the call is for us to leave that in the past and move forward into a future with Jesus at the center of our relationship. Now, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture from the Apostle Paul once again, 1 Corinthians. And, and if you've never heard this passage of Scripture before, you're going to say you're making that up. That's not in the Bible. But it is. Here it is. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. This is a married couple he's speaking to. Unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again sexually so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. If more couples practice this single verse of Scripture in their marriage relationship, there would be fewer looking on the outside of their marriages, whether through affairs or through um, you know, print or video means, to bring fulfillment to their marriages. Paul recognized the powerful pull of sexuality in our lives, but he also recognized how important prayer is. I believe only in God's word would you find sexuality and prayer brought together in intimate relationship. But that's exactly what he did. So, for those who are single, you've been sitting here going, well, you've been talking an awful lot about married people. The very next verse in the, the, the letter to the Corinthians, Paul wrote a verse to single people. Here's what he said. I say this as a concession, that is about the married people, not as a command. In other words, here's what he says. I wish everyone were single as I am, but God gives to some the gift of marriage and to others the gift of singleness. Now, how does that sound in the hookup culture in which we live? The gift of singleness? Now, you're probably thinking, well, that was written 2,000 years ago. Paul didn't have any idea about how you know, it would become in the culture in which we live. Oh, Paul lived in Corinth. He wrote this letter to people who lived in Corinth. Corinth was one of the most sexually immoral cultures in the ancient world. In fact, if you lived a sexually immoral life, they would say you live like a Corinthian. So Paul was writing to people in a culture much like modern American culture. And in that, he said, singleness is a gift. And why is it a gift? Well, he knew, Jesus knew, it's a gift because if your purpose, your mission from God is such that to have a wife and children would be to give you a reason to be distracted from it, singleness is better. And Jesus was a single man, as we said, but he was a man. Scripture tells us in the book of Hebrews, it says he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Jesus came here to live a perfect life that we couldn't live, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin. So he never got married, but he was a celibate man. Paul, the apostle, planted churches all through the known world of his day. And he knew that if he had a wife, that he would rightly be distracted from that to, to invest time with his wife and children if there were children. And in our lives, I have a wife and children. 
And they have not been a distraction. They've been a focus, as they're supposed to be. So I can't spend all my time traveling around the world. And I do tra travel a good bit, but not, not exclusively as Paul did. My life is not called to be single because I've been married for 39 plus years. But there's a call for the gift of marriage and a call for the gift of singleness. And however we live our lives, if we're single, we live a certain way to glorify God and be in the center of that relationship. If we're married, we live a certain way. And again, not talking about the edge lines, about how far can we go before it's sin, but how can we stay in the center of our relationship with Jesus Christ? As I was writing this message, I was on the airplane coming back from Israel, and I, I sat and I reflected for a bit about my own personal relationship with Jesus and his individual will for my life. And I realized that as we've been focusing on this series over the past month, for me it had already been a month because I had read Pastor Brad's messages, I had written my messages ahead of time, and as I, I focused on that and focused on doing it more, the, the universal will of God in all these areas, I realized that his individual will was becoming clearer to me. That's going to happen in all of our lives as we're obedient, more and more obedient in the power of the Holy Spirit in each area of his universal will. He speaks more clearly to us. We had the opportunity to spend a little bit of time in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was a powerful experience. And as I sat there, the guy in charge, the guide said, take a, a little bit of time and, and turn off your phone if you have one. Don't, you know, no, no focus on the outside world. Just listen to what Jesus has to say to you. And as I sat there, it was very quick what he said. It wasn't profound, but it was profoundly important. He said, rest. Huh, rest. And, and so I've been seeking to do that. I've been seeking to get more rest, you know, in my nighttime rest at, at night and my daily or my weekly Sabbath. Actually, this Friday was one of the first Sabbaths where I really didn't work. I, I took time to be with God. And so it's changing me from the inside out. One of the other things, simple thing he said was, <laughs> this one was not so much fun. Get rid of caffeine. Period. Like not for the, you know, not for like six months like you do. Like I do these cycles where I get rid of caffeine and I get it back, then I get rid of it and I get it back. And just like wait, you know, I lose 20 pounds and I get it back, lose 20 pounds. I mean, I've lost 500 pounds in the last 20 years. <laughs> but this time, this time, I'll keep it off. No, this time, <laughs> that's a Grinch thing. If, okay, never mind. Uh, try to lighten it up a little bit. This time. God said, I want you to get rid of caffeine while you're here in Israel because I don't want you to subject Nancy and the girls to your, you know, attitude when you're getting off caffeine when you get back and the headaches and all that. So I came back in a better humor and feeling better. And every time I walk past the coffee pot, I still want a cup of coffee. Um, but I can lean into the center of God's will. It's a little thing. Little things become big things when you add them together. We do the big universal will of God, and then he tells us little things that we do, and little by little by little. And for me, unfortunately, it's been so little by little by little that 61 years after, well, actually, I started when I was 12, so many decades after I got started, I still have a long way to go. We all have a long way to go. But sanctification is a process. And day by day by day, as we do these universal things that God calls us to do, he tells us little things that he calls, wants us to do, and it will change us to be more like Jesus. And that's really the plan for our lives. So what does Jesus' love require of me? That's the last little thing that God has said. Every morning, I want you to wake up, and I want you to ask this simple question. And this is his universal will. 
But it's also a, a very special thing for me. Every day I wake up and I ask the question, what does Jesus' love require of me today? And I look at my schedule and I see what that's going to mean. And I don't get to choose what God's will is. I don't get to choose if it's old-fashioned or out-of-date. I only get to choose whether I obey it or disobey it. That's all you get to choose, too. Because God's universal will is clear, and his individual will becomes clearer and clearer as we do his universal will. So we only get to choose whether in the power of the Holy Spirit we're going to obey or disobey. And as we obey more and more and more, that's called holiness. That's called sanctification. And we become more like him. So here's the next step for this week. It's a hard one. I will abstain from sexual sin this week. And remember, it's not how close can we get to the edge of the line without crossing over. It's how far to the center can we get so that every thought, every word, every action becomes more and more focused on him so that we can love each other as he first loved us. You know, if it was just loving Jesus, it would be so easy. <laughs> but I got to love you guys. Some of you will get that in the parking lot. Um, and you have to love me. You see, it would be so easy if all I had to do was sit in a, you know, on a rock and love Jesus. But it isn't that. It's, it's that and love each other as Jesus loved us. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much that you made it possible for us, first of all, to be in relationship with you by dying on the cross for us and rising again for us and going back to heaven and reigning in power over us and praying for us and sending your spirit to us. We thank you that today it's possible to do your universal will by the power of your Holy Spirit in us. And God, we ask that you will pour your spirit into us so we can do that more and more and more so that our level of holiness grows to be more like your level of holiness so that we can be sanctified from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.